Good morning. I'm Karen Audubonny, and you're tuned to KCWX, and I'm on TKO. So, this morning, we're back on the air, and I have 3rd District Supervisor John Hashtag with me. John, are you there? Speak up. Hey, Karen, here I am. So, nice to be on the show with you today. It is, and I have to tell you, um, John's been uh, a Board of Supervisors. We just talked about it. It's his third year. Uh, I had never met John because I'd backed out of radio when he got, got on the board, but I had the opportunity to meet John and have a great afternoon with him when he came over all the way from Willits to the station in Philo for our last pledge drive, and we got to pled, we got to plug together to get our members up, and um, I went thank you so much for coming all the way over john and it was a pleasure to meet you and then we talked about getting on the air together and talking about mendocino county supervisors and what's going on from his perspective so here we are welcome to the airwaves john well thanks karen yeah it was fun uh, doing the pledge drive with you that afternoon and um certainly uh, I think we met our goal and then some. So. We did indeed. We so, got so that was a good day. We squeezed that money out of our listeners because it keeps us going. So um, this is the first time I've had John on the air. So what I've asked him to do is just give me and my listeners an, an, a, you know, a background of how he got here, how he's become a supervisor, and just a little, you know, a little, little uh, yeah. Tell us where you're at and where you come from. Well, um <clears throat> My mother um, was a single mother, and she took us up to Willits when I was about 10 years old. And um, she was a school nurse for Willits, Leightonville, and Covala schools um, back in the late 60s, early 70s. And so I went to the Willits Public Schools, um, graduated from there, Willits High. And then I went on, um, went to UCLA, studied um, history and political science. Um, after that, I went into the Peace Corps. I was in Guatemala for a couple of years. Great experience in my life. And then I came back to Mendocino County. I started working with migrant farm workers for several years out of, uh, out of Ukiah, but for a seven-county region in Northern California, doing parent education for migrant farm workers. And then I uh, got a call from Willits High School to teach Spanish there. And I started teaching Spanish and teaching in the Willett schools. And um, I did that for 28 years before I ran for supervisor. So I was very involved in the, the union and um, with the California Teachers Association, the local union, Willett's Teachers Association, regional. And, um, and so that's kind of my background. And when the position kind of came open, I applied for it when... Um, when it was an appointment when Tom Woodhouse, um, you know, resigned or left. And um, I didn't get it with, you know, Jerry Brown picked George Ann Krosky. And then when she decided not to run, I decided to keep running for it. And here I am. There you are. And then also last year in your second year of your term, you're in your third year now, you were actually chair of the supervisor, uh, supervisor's board chair, they call it. So you ran the meetings and did all that. So well, I'll tell you, Karen, yeah. that was a, we were just talking about it yesterday in the office here during lunch, is that that was a very trying year because, um, because of the pandemic and then having to you know, chair the meetings virtually. And so it was very, um, you know, the technology, 
I was doing it from home or the classroom up in Willits, and and it was just uh, very difficult to to do the chair role with all this technology and the fear of the pandemic because we had no idea where it was going and you know if we would lose staff and we were understaffed and people would go out and it was just there was a lot of balls in the air at that moment yeah and i will say it was a challenge but you stepped up to the challenge talk about walking into the fire um and we're still dealing with the pandemic but it seems like we have more knowledge of how it's going on what's going on with it uh how to handle it um i will say that john is uh, broadcasting we're on zoom together and he's actually in his office at the uh, low gap at the county offices correct Right. And so it's just like two weeks ago that I started coming back to the office for the first time in 12 months. Yeah, to get back. And I will say also that a couple of several of the supervisors, because I do watch it at um, I stream it at home so I can see what's going on and bring the information to the listeners. Um, several of the supervisors have connectivity problems, so they'll be in and out, in and out. I know uh, uh, Glenn McGordy has some issues with that. He sometimes has to go off the video. So the epidemic the pandemic the covid has really pushed our um it's really changed how we do the meetings how you do the meetings i know the one thing that people are asking about is when are they going to be back in the chambers to have uh you know physically everybody can be there and from what i've heard it's not going to be till september is that correct because the i guess the chambers are being remodeled the right they're doing renovations for Uh, um in the the boardroom in the boardroom yeah and so so it won't be done until september and and i do think that you're right on saying that you know the the dynamics of doing these zoom meetings versus in person has changed because uh, you know my personal feeling is that when you're doing a zoom meeting it's a little easier to to go off on somebody or or you know say you're not dealing with a person face to face and so then the dynamic changes when you're just looking at a computer screen with a bunch of different little faces on it it so i think that the kind of the dialogue and the interpersonal um, interactions changes yeah the decorum is much different it seems much more formalized when it's in the chambers and you have an audience i will agree with that i've been in the chambers many times over many many years and i will say it's more of a relaxed decorum when it's zoom it's more it's more of a like almost a committee meeting it's it's very interesting um if, ever, if nobody's watched it it would be interesting it's on youtube you can go to youtube and see all these previously streamed uh, board meetings it is um it is a more casual atmosphere um but in a way that adds a different tone to it also i see the benefit of both i do like that more people can see it i like it being on youtube because it allows me to be part of it or see it right when it's happening and i don't have to drive all the way to ukiah i'm hoping that will continue after everybody gets back into chambers i think will it i hope right certainly i think that there should be a hybrid because yeah. people don't need to be driving all the way to Ukiah from Walala or Kovalo right. just to say their three-minute piece. 
That's true. And you do get, you can call in, and I know there's been some technical problems because not all of us have good phone service, but there has been that kind of access to the the board and the representatives. So let me just take a minute to break in to say I'm Karen Audubon. This is TKO, and on the air this morning with me is 3rd District Supervisor John Haschek, and we're talking about the county issues. So let's um, let's jump into those county issues, John. <laughs> Um, There's been some long board meetings. I haven't had a supervisor on. The last supervisor I had on was Glenn McGordy, and that was after, I think, a 10-, 11-hour meeting. Yesterday's was like eight and a half, almost nine hours, I believe. You guys are putting in some long days. Um, And there's been, you've been dealing with the budget. That's been going on. There's been the budget talked about. Uh, You approved the budget for the 21-22 year coming up our for everybody who doesn't know our county budget runs uh june 30th to july 1st so that's our that's our budget schedule um so you got the budget approved how do you feel about the budget process and how it went well i think that the budget process went well that um, you know it's it's looking at the different departments and and what our goal is, and I'm hoping that the strategic planning that we're going to start July 1st and hopefully finish by the end of the year, that that will give us more of guiding principles about how to run the government. What are the real core issues that we want to deal with and how do we want to, you know, what directions we want to go. And if we can focus that more, then it will give us more um, insight into how to to do the budget process well let's let's just say let's let listeners know that the final budget total was for and i'm going to round up a bit it's uh 349 million dollars is what i'm looking at here um and they break it down by departments um i will put out on the air that uh the budget is now up on a site called OpenGov.com, and you can access, it's actually a really good site, John, I have to say. Uh, It's got really nice charts and things like that, so it kind of shows progression of the budget, what's going on. It actually shows it by the month where we at are in our budget and what's projected. So you can actually go directly to that site by going to MendocinoCounty.org backslash open gov so i did some little exploring on that last night just to see the charts and stuff and um the transparency is really great i will say um many years ago when i started doing this gig i had to go all the way over to the to the assessor's office to the county um ceo's office and pay 23 dollars to get a a three inch uh document of the budget because it was <laughs> way before your time so so having this all online you're and, awesome so having that all online now and and being able to look at the graphs and all of that really helps so if anybody's really fascinated with that you can go to mendocinocounty.org backslash open gov all right so we got a big budget um how did you feel about the final numbers? Do you think they're realistic? I know there was a lot of discussion about the sheriff's department, the DA's department and probation always being underfunded in the budget. And then they're at the end of the year, they always come out looking like they overspent. Was that resolved? <laughs> well, I don't think it was really resolved. And I think that there need to be talks between the 
sheriff's office and the CEO executive office. And so that's kind of an ongoing issue. And uh, there's certainly some questions about the vehicle request from the sheriff's office and how do we provide the sheriff with the appropriate um, budget for for replacing you know the vehicles because they were getting a lot of wear and tear over the August complex fire and you know I guess they put in 200,000 miles over you know a short period of time and so you know you want those vehicles to be ready for action if if the sheriff's office needs them so um, certainly there's some questions about it you know 349 million dollars sounds like a lot of money and it is a lot of money. It's still that it seems like the services were always coming down to, okay, what do we do? Do we put a million here or half a million there? And and how do we provide the services to the community, to the county um, in the most efficient way and real really be the guardians of the taxpayer dollars? And so, so I think that at the end of the day, you know, we're still looking at a kind of a crunch and, you know, more, there's more desire out there for tax money than there is tax money. Well, one of the things I think I saw in our budget, in, in our budget and your discussions is there's been a lot of deferred I guess you would call infrastructure maintenance. I mean, like you look at your our county roads. We didn't have when we went into our recession in 2008. We're bouncing back and all that. So it's been there's been a lot of deferred maintenance, and a lot of things haven't been updated. I see a lot of money going to updating our infrastructure around um, emergency services, our infrastructure around telecommunications, and all that stuff. Um, so I see, and it seems like a lot of stuff we're catching up where we didn't have the money before, and now it's like it's broken down and it's not going to work. Are you sensing that? Yeah, we've gotten to the point where we've had to do some some real investment into that infrastructure, you know, the communication, emergency communication systems, because if we didn't, we were going to have repeated failures, and with that, you're going to have you know, loss of life or, you know, not being able to respond in a critical situation. So that is, a, I think, for everyone on the board, it's a number one goal is to get that infrastructure back up and running as efficiently as possible. We did get a grant for $5 million, I think, to help with that. And then we're also looking at PG&E money. You know, we got the $22.6 million from PG&E settlement for the 2017 fire. We've got CARES Act money, which is about $16 million, I think. So, you know, there's some of these funds coming in that we're looking at how to best utilize those. I, I think the PG&E money for, you know, public safety is really, um, it's going to be interesting. It's coming back to the board on July 13th, I believe, you know, we were created a met uh, matrix. I worked with the um, executive office to create a matrix to to kind of qual quantify the request because we've got I don't know 35 million dollars of request and only 22 million dollars. And so, how do you say one is more 
valid than the other. So we came up with this matrix and hopefully the other board members will fill it in. Supervisor Jerdy helped some on it. And um, and so it's, it's um, quantifying it, scoring all the requests. And at the end of the day, maybe we'll have more of a clear picture on how to use that money. But I think the number one goal is to create better public safety. That's, that's good you brought that up. I have done, um, I've been consistently covering it, that uh, part of the, the PG&E money. Um, if for anybody who listens to my shows regularly, they know I've covered it with uh, Glenn McGordy. I've covered it other times um, when I had Brent uh, Blazer on. We covered that about the PG&E money. So um, the next board meeting actually is the 13th of July. You're, you're off until then, I believe, because of the holiday and all that. Um, so that's good to hear. I mean, the Listeners, what I want you to know is that when you talk about this infrastructure money, like you're talking about the five million to upgrade the emergency alert systems and those kind of systems, that's just a drop in the bucket. Then you've got our infrastructure, our IT within the county, and they're looking at millions of dollars to upgrade the different departments to get their IT going too. So uh, when when you talk about upgrading or even maintaining what we have, the Price tags have gone up substantially, so I just want everybody to know it's not just a couple hundred thousand here and a couple hundred thousand there. It's more like a million here and a million there. <laughs> well, in the many places where you can spend a million dollars. So I yeah. think that, you know, we're looking at $12 million in request for for the IT infrastructure. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to, since we brought up the PG&E money, I, I want to just question on that. I mean, a lot of, when do we think you're going to be back with your priorities and your lists and all of that, which was a really good idea to get the supervisors focused on what is important to the county and rating these different requests. Um, is there any, do you have any idea when that money actually might get to the ground and hit the, hit the you know, get to the agencies that need it or the organizations? Like, um, I'm thinking the Fire Safe Council that could be using the money now to, you know, help eradicate a lot of the, um, or clean up areas that need or that are not fire safe. Um, I'm thinking about the uh, emergency services office that, that made some requests. I mean, some major priority request that could use the money in the next 30 to 45 days is there any chance that that's going to get out and get you know hit the right where the rubber hit the road with that money well i think that if we decide on some of the requests on the 13th i mean we don't have to spend all 22 million dollars on the 13th but if we say hey these are our top five issues and we're going to fund those it seems like that's just a question of at that point you know, getting the money out to them because my understanding is we have the money. Yeah, it's been there for over a year, I think, sitting. We've had that. We've had the PG&E money for at least 18 months, I know. I'm pretty sure. Well, I think it came in like in November of oh, okay. 2020. Sorry. Of 2020? Okay, so I'm oh, sorry about that, yeah. folks. Okay, thank you for correcting me. Okay, so we've had it at well over six months. Well, that's good to hear because um, I've looked over the priorities. I've read the minutiae. I've listened to the presentations by the different uh, departments and organizations that are requesting money. And I was, I was concerned that you'd have to wait till you had every nickel and dime uh, knowing where it's going to go before you would release the money. I'm glad to hear there's a chance that maybe the top five priorities could get money right away to get something going for us. 
that will be good. I will be watching. I will be watching on the 13th, John. <laughs> All right. Yeah, because the deadline for request was July 1st. Right. And so, right. So everyone's request should be in by now. We should have the full picture of who's requesting money. And, and there's no reason why we can't choose, you know, the top five or whatever and fund them and get that going. Good. Good to hear that. Well, I'm hoping that will happen then. So, all right. So then the other big issue that's been on the table, I know you were, you're talking about the strategic planning. There's money put aside for that. You're going to get in and do that. We'll cover that as you get into the strategic plan process. I hope to have one or more of the supervisors on to talk about how they see the direction of the county. So we'll put that off to a later show. Um, but the major issue that's been kind of trickling through the last three board meetings, and I say trickling is silly, is that water <laughs> as it trickles. Uh, water and the drought, uh, Mendocino County and Sonoma County were the first counties in the state to be declared uh, emergency or disasters by uh, Newsom. Gavin Newsom was, you know, in the dry caked bed of Lake Mendocino declaring that. And then just be the week before that, the supervisors, our supervisors declared an emer water emergency. So we had our declaration well, and then the state, correct? Yes. That was the, the day before. The, the day government. before, exactly. It wasn't even the week before. The day before you guys jumped on it. And then Newsom comes up and stands in the dry lake. Um, so we're still at that issue. So the next thing that came up was that you're talking about creating going back there used to be many years ago a water agency and you're part of that committee can you kind of get the listeners up to speed at what's happening with creating an agency what it would do how is it going to help with the water can you kind of help us out there yeah well you know i'm part of the drought task force or ad hoc committee with supervisor mcgordy and you know it became it came from this declaration of emergency for the drought um, we've been working on several things but one is certainly getting this water agency back up and running it it was over in the department of transportation they were doing a good job with it but they certainly have their hands full with a lot of other things too and so our feeling was with climate change and everything, droughts are, might be here for as long as we live. And so, so this is an area that we felt like we needed to focus on. We needed to have an agency that's just, you know, dedicated to dealing with the drought issues. And we, we've got 42 different water agencies in, in Mendocino County and we need to start coordinating the work of those different agencies so that you know potter valley knows what redwood valley is doing which knows what mendocino needs which knows what you know if we can start collaborating i think we're a much better off and so that's one of the main tasks for it um, so we do have a project manager and we're also um, we're looking at getting it up and running and that way when state funds come because we're going to be pretty much first in line in the state for some of the funding that will come for um, water projects that um, we can get those those grant applications ready you know i think that's a that's a big deal 
Yeah, have, being prepared, having what the state calls shovel-ready projects, I know is what they keep talking about, having shovel-ready projects that you can slip right in. Um, one of the things that came up through this discussion is having an EIR, Environmental Impact, what's the R stand for? Report. Report. There we go. Okay, EIR. Um, talking about doing an EIR for the whole county or individual areas, can can you kind of get us on track with what that means when you talk about having a countywide ERR, EIR? Well, an EIR is for a, a project. And so certainly when we're talking about the cannabis ordinance, you know, there's a lot of people who, which I'm included in that, feel like, hey, if you're going to do this massive um, expansion of the cannabis program and what grows cultivation, then let's do an environmental impact report on what the impact of of that project, the expansion of cannabis, would be on, you know, our water. Because every day I'm getting emails and calls from people who are running out of water. And, um, you know, some of it might be the drought, but certainly some are blaming it on the neighbors um cannabis production and so it's like let's find out what our watersheds can deal with as far as you know expanded um agriculture well who would take that on would that be like the property owner has to do that i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna go into agriculture and you're gonna do it i and let me just say folks i am of the opinion if you're gonna do this with cannabis you better do it with grapes you better do it with pears you better do it with any agriculture i really have a hard time separating out one agricultural product to lay all the heavy burdens on just my personal opinion here we go folks um so when you talk about this, that would be an EIR for a development. What I was hearing is that maybe we need to do it for watersheds also to get a better idea of how we would manage watersheds. Is that is that what we're talking about here? Well, yeah, that would that was a proposal I made yesterday. Let's look at the watersheds because we have watersheds that are very threatened right now. We have the Navarro watershed, we have the Russian River, we have the Eel River. You know, those those watersheds are threatened. The fish are threatened in those and and the ecology of of all those watersheds. So, let's look at what the impact of any new cultivation is at least. I think that, that um, that's data that would provide information to the Board of Supervisors that to make real sound decisions. Without that kind of information, how do you make, how do you decide whether we can handle one acre or five acres or 10 acres? We don't. We so. don't. So that wouldn't be a county-wide situation where the county might take it up. You're actually maybe putting it back onto the communities to do that. The other ones, the other watersheds, the other watersheds, let me just mention too, because I didn't mention it before, would be forestry and managing uh, and timber harvests and stuff like that, because that has also, also has an impact on our water courses and our, that type of thing. I don't know if they have to do EIRs for uh, harvests, do they? I don't know about that, so yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do think that it is a countywide issue. There's lots of factors of affecting water. But in my district where I see, you know, the Little Lake Valley 
you know, people's wells going dry. Covalo, you know, you hear horrific stories about, you know, the woman who called me on Monday who's been living in Covalo for 50 years, you know, 65-year-old woman who whose well just went dry for the very first time. You know, and so so some of these issues are, you know, threatening people's livelihoods and um, so okay so yeah i mean i totally agree we have so many different watersheds and so many different sources of water groundwater well water you know stream and creek waters that it it's gonna that's a big issue to try to look at it countywide I know that a lot of us in the from environmentalists from years ago were looking at watershed issues, so maybe we could do that. But starting with any developments and having them, you know, track their water sources uh, would be a help. One of the best articles I saw on this lately, if anybody has access to it or can you know, find it, is uh, Jim Shields from your Laytonville up in your area, Laytonville Water Department up there manages at that. He um, wrote an article about the whole Laytonville area and how much they've studied that, where they get their water and the water in the basin up there. It was really well done, I thought. If we had a few more of those type of um, uh, studies, I think that would help too. It was really well done. Right, and I think that he's got a very good, Jim Shields has a very good handle on what's happening in that Laytonville area and documents it and has that history. Yes, Yes, that's true. That's very helpful. Yeah. So so the Water Agency is looking at all of these issues and how do we respond to this drought as a county. Okay, good. And um, hopefully maybe some of the money coming from the state could be used for some of these EIRs. Is that EIRs? Is that a potential also, I wonder, to look at some of these Well, that's a potential. And I've got a call into Sacramento and I'm supposed to call them back today um, to see where we are with it because you know the cannabis program was supposed to get 18 million dollars to help the legacy growers get through help the county get these people through the system and if we can use that money to do an EIR which might help some of the people who are transitioning to the new ordinance then um, they would help them get CEQA compliant and it gets us more information as a county also in these different areas because I'm sure they're not all going to happen in the same area. Well, they may right. be. Right. And, yeah. you know, that um, Humboldt did an EIR. Sonoma County is looking at an EIR. You know, they're trying to oh. use that same money to do their EIR. Oh, that's And good. Trinity did an EIR for their cannabis program. So Wow. Well, why and, is it- and just, to, just to, to put a, you know, to give people perspective, um, I think it's only been maybe the last 15 years, maybe even less, that you even had to get a permit to drill a well, as far as I know. I know it's not been that long that permits were even required to, to drill a well. So, yeah. Well, that's one of the things we're looking at is how many wells are there in the <laughs> county? And, you know, there's no record of how much people are pumping out of their wells. No, that so would be... Yeah. The county doesn't track that at all. No. And so- yeah, they don't. Because I'm trying to decide, because uh, I'm active with the elder home in, in Boonville, and we had two wells dug. And I know I got a personal report. We, we got a personal report as to how much the well was pulling at that time. 
you know, they'd do that. But I don't recall that we even had to get permits. But maybe we did. That was 2006. So, yeah, what I'm saying is there's not a lot of record of all the wells that are in place, what they draw, what they can draw, and all of that. So that's a whole big issue for your water committee. There you go. So, Hey, put that down. I'll write it down. Write that down, <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's true. In fact, probably your best yeah. probably your best source for finding out these wells and what they're pulling out is going to be the well drillers, you know. Fish Brothers and the, uh, every, every little ca- locale has their own little, you know, well drillers and stuff. And they do do a record for, they, they pull water to see what it's pumping at that time when the well is dug. So that gives you an in-time place to start but yeah that would be fascinating so there you go there's some information all right you folks. know but what we don't want is to get into the well wars where no. you know you have a person who has a 50-foot well for the last 100 years and now the neighbor comes in and puts in a 75-foot well and then 100 foot and then before you know it you know the deeper and deeper be, and well that's been field. going that's been going on in sonoma county i an old friend of mine who since passed was a well driller in sonoma county and uh, way back uh, when we had our last little drought thing, he was going back to wells he had drilled in the you know 60s and 70s, and he was going down another 200 feet. So, it might be interesting to look at some of the surrounding counties to see what they've done and they've issued. But yeah, I mean, as as the water shrinks down, people are just going to be digging deeper. So let me just take yeah. a minute and say that you're listening to KZYX and KZYZ. I'm Karen Audubonny. On the air with me today is John Hescheck. He's the third district supervisor, and we're covering all kinds of issues about the county. Um, so we got the budget, uh, just wanted to do a real quickie thing that we've got our, the 2020, um, census report came back. We're just over 90 some thousand in the county is what they projected. That's what they said. I think 90,000, some, something or other, um, which is fascinating because when I moved to the county, there were 66,000. So <laughs> we're talking uh, to 78. So the 80 census was like 66,000, 63,000. We're now, all these years later, 30,000 more people, if it's been counted correctly. Um, so that triggers redistricting, which means that the county goes in and they look at the population for all the districts we have five districts supervisor districts um and the way they do those lines is that each district is supposed to have um close to the same amount of population correct 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 and you weren't right. you weren't people on the people representation people representation and you were not on the board the last time they did this which would have been um they do it every 10 years so it would have been 2010 2011 uh, prior to that, it was 2000. I've been through several of those. So yesterday, it came up on the agenda, and they were going to have staff do it, correct? Right. Yeah, that was the recommendation, yeah. and I, I had it pulled from the consent calendar to discuss it, and I proposed that we had a hybrid system of having staff, but we also need um, citizen involvement, and in this process and so and on the steering committee that would you know lead to some town halls and uh, public forums and so that's we sent um, the direction was to send staff back to to bring back a plan that had citizen involvement in this process all right of the the planning committee so if anyone's out there <laughs> who is interested in 
in this redistricting, which is crucially important for for democracy to happen properly. Um, you know, contact your supervisor or the executive office and say, hey, I want to be on that. And Great. We'll see where we go with it. We'll see where we go with that. I'm I'm going to I'm going to be a realistic person here. I'm not pessimistic. I'm going to be realistic. But uh, the last two times I've watched this process go uh, back in, I think, 2000. Yeah, I think it was 2000. They had a citizens committee do it. They get to the board of supervisors that they, they didn't do it. So twice I've watched these committees work really hard and then they just go with what the staff proposed. So but maybe we can turn it around this year, John. We never know. But thank you for trying. <laughs> OK, well, yeah, I, don't well, know. I, I agree. I, thank you for trying. And I think there should be community input. There is. It's just it's kind of like with the grand jury reports. They give the reports and then not too much changes. So. Um, all right. So before I open up the lines, I'm going to real quick, just because we have to, and uh, I am reluctant. Uh, a lot of the last two board meetings have been around the cannabis issue. Um, I know, John, you've been in the one lone vote against the ordinances that have been going on. Um, yesterday, I personally thought there was a compromise that did happen, uh, but you still voted against it, right? I believe. I think it was. Wasn't it right. I still voted against it right. because of the expansion aspect of it. And, you know, it is a huge expansion. Even though it's tiered, it's going to be delayed for a few years. You know, but when we go from a quarter acre grow to 10 acres, um, that's that's too much. And that's that's not what I'm hearing from the people of this county. All right. But well, let's look. Let's just say what happened. So first off, the, the originally the growth aspect was 10% of the amount of acreage that you own was going to be uh, growable if you could get through all the licensing and all the EIRs and all the community neighbors and stuff. So that was what was on the table. Then you, the supervisors went back and they did a more um, staggered approach to uh, expansion. And that would be, so it was three years out, they can do two acres, or was it three acres? It was two acres. Two acres expansion. And I think it's two years out. Two years out. Because... 2023, okay. two acres, and then 2026, five acres, and then three years after that, it would be 10 acres. Correct. And, and that, that would be the limit. So the ten per, you could do ten percent up to ten acres. Right. So if right, but the two acres. So if you have if you have, yeah, it wasn't a percent. The cap was still the percentage, but it, it was only two, and then it upped it to five, and then and then what you also added is that at the end of that two-year period or three-year period if somebody wanted to jump up and expand to the five acres there would be a more public input and discussion and all of that correct it'd be like a whole new community input about is this working or is it not working and should we reconsider what we did yesterday that's what i grasped out of it yeah yeah that was put in there <laughs> i'm just thinking that <clears throat> You know, is that really realistic if you if you open it up to big growers and these big companies start coming in and buying up land and saying this is our you know goal 
then at that point, are you going to say, well, we had some complaints in the community, even though we've had hundreds and hundreds of complaints about this proposal from the beginning. But if you get some complaints at that point, is the board going to turn back and say, oh, we can't, we can't go forward with this. You know, I think that um, you're setting, you're setting this, this thing in motion, this ball rolling that is going to be hard to stop. Well, I thought actually that yesterday the compromise put more, uh, let's say, restrictions on the growth and the parameters around the growth with having more community input and uh, looking at what, how they had behaved with the minimal growth they'd had. Um, it seemed like it was more respect- restrictive and more open for discussion than it had been under the original ordinance. Is that, am I reading that wrong? Well, there are some, you know, co- request or, you know, these, they put the community forum thing in place. Right. For kind of checking out how it goes. But at the same time, it's like the vision. Is this where we want to go with our county? Do we want to go for 10 acre grows? Do we want to open up rangeland to 10 acre grows? You know, are we, what are we doing? You know, what is the vision here? And, you know, what I've heard from across the spectrum of people, from law enforcement to cannabis growers to people in the valleys who depend on wells to to just people in the community is that, you know, this small is beautiful idea of um, let's um, let's keep it, you know, let's get the legacy growers through the system Let's um, get them permitted. And then, you know, it it just seems like people don't want to go to this um, big scale model. Okay. And that's, that's been a consistent message yeah. from the people of Mendocino County. Well, and there is still talk. I mean, I don't know if it squelched the talk. There had been talk prior to yesterday's board meeting and this compromise that there would be some ballot initiatives put on uh on the ballot or forcing a special election to actually try to rescind some of the things in the ordinance. I know you questioned the county council on that yesterday, if that could actually happen. Um, I, I'm not in the loop on this to know whether that has, um, the, the compromise that happened yesterday has maybe satisfied some of the, there was two different groups that were talking about initiatives for the ballot. Um, have you heard from any of them? Do you think this is going to help uh, not have to push it to the ballot? I think that um, it's still going to go, you know, people are going to go for a referendum. Okay. And at that point, you know, if the signatures are gathered, then um, it will be the people's decision on what their vision for the county will be. Okay. You know, I think that with this ordinance, we did put some good things in, you know, about no water hauling. Yes. You know, making sure that some ag land was was kept. But for me, the the big issue has been, you know, the expansion and, you know, range going in the rangeland in a massive way. And so, so this is a very, you know, my district and, you know, the eastern part of the county has a lot of rangeland that's very dry, that's very vulnerable, that's, um, you know, the headlands for some of these watersheds that's um, when wildfires come through, they burn and, you know, they burn up 
poop houses, they burn up everything. Yeah. And that's, um, that can be devastating to the environment. That's true. And let me say again, in my humble opinion, if you're going to regulate to this extent cannabis, I agree it should be all agricultural products because I live in Anderson Valley and I've watched over the last 20 years the amount of land that's been taken out of range and put into vineyards, in my humble opinion. So, you know, John, um, we're coming up uh, about the hour. I was going to just open up the phone lines quickly to see if anybody has any questions or maybe some concerns you'd like to register for our third district supervisor. John's been really active and in the throngs of all of these issues because he's up there in the rural northern county of third district so john we're gonna get a caller in here this morning and see what's going on good morning caller you're on the air with us uh yeah i'd like to know if john could say if that issue that you just mentioned that um all agriculture uh, might be controlled due to these water and et cetera concerns. Does that ever come up in the Board of Supervisor meetings? Okay, take the answer on the air. Thank you. John, it does. So has the question of water for all the other agricultural pursuits been taken up by the board? Yeah, I mean, when you talk about this, uh, when you talk about water hauling, when you talk about um, <clears throat> expansions and all of that, it has been around mainly cannabis. But has there been any, can, has anybody on the supervisor said, oh, but wait a minute, what about the rest of the agriculture that's going on in the county, vineyards? Well, we did, we did have that discussion yesterday, and there was an urgency ordinance about um, not having any new projects come forward, new, no new permits, and that would require water. You know. And so, so it was actually focused on cannabis, but we made sure that it was focused on everything. So any project that requires a lot of water is going to um, come under real scrutiny and probably not be... I don't. I think it will put a moratorium on those kind of projects. Any agri- there's a question. Agricultural question. development. You mean agricultural development that's going to require um, extensive water? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean that is one of the concerns for me because um, it there does seem to be a real narrowing of this focus that it's you know if you were to listen to the board meetings and all of that you would think the major (laughs) agricultural product out of this county is cannabis and i don't know that that's true i think grapes and wine are probably up there with it um pretty close maybe we don't know (laughs) yeah yeah not in the third district i think it's a preponderance of cannabis is, that's I, probably true. That's, that's very true. That's probably very true. Now, here in the 5th District in Anderson Valley and all of that, it's, you know, and see, the other thing is 5th District goes to Hopland where there's more grapes and stuff there. So, yeah, right. it, that's kind of an interesting thing. Okay, I, I didn't give out the numbers. 895-2448 if you'd like to get involved in this conversation with John Haschak, 3rd District Supervisor. We're all over what's going on at the county level. Um so I brought up the issues that are I think are hot and topics and all that. Did we miss anything? What's going on that you might want to bring out to the listeners and get everybody informed about? Well, certainly Measure B has been a topic of concern of late. And, and so 
Yesterday, the CEO reported that the feasibility study for this Whitmore Lane facility, which is an old um, skilled nursing facility in south end of Ukiah, and they're having the architects look at the feasibility of converting it into a psychiatric hospital facility. So that report should be out at the end of July. Um, looking forward to it because um, we need to move on this puff. And so whether it's tearing down this half of the Whitmore Lane facility or finding raw land that we can just build anew, you know, we need to do something to to make this happen. Well, and wasn't there a, a contract? Actually, you guys voted on yesterday to with Redwood Quality. I can't remember their acronym. RQ something or other for mental health services. You voted on that yesterday or approved? RQMC. Yeah, RQMC. Yeah. You voted on or approved. I get was that in the consent calendar? I think that might have been in the consent calendar. You approved uh, a contract with them to pick up some more mental health services. Is that correct? Well, they are the provider of the mental health services, you know, for the county. Okay. And so they they're the umbrella for for a lot of the mental health services. That really doesn't have anything to do with this measure B, um, you know, the puff unit. Oh, so that, that they wouldn't be managing that. Okay, I was under the assumption they might be picking up some of that. So no, because um, there is kind of a tentative agreement with this telecare. Okay. Which runs puff units throughout the state. All right, let's get another caller on, see if we can do that this morning. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Your question or concern? Uh, yes. I'm wondering if the board has any plans to address the global climate crisis locally through such things as photovoltaics on municipal buildings, uh, the electrification of the MTA, or installing electric car chargers throughout the county. Ooh. And I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. All right, there you go. Yeah, great question. And we've heard a lot about it from the Grassroots Institute um, and the Climate Change <clears throat> Advisory Committee for the county. You know, they, they're both promoting that. I think that putting the solar panels on all the county buildings is a great idea. We need to do that. I think there's support from the board to do that on all the buildings. Um, all the decisions we made in the last few years have gone in that direction. So um, with the electric chargers, you know, I'm on the MCOG, which is Mendocino Council of Governments, and we, uh, we're looking at a lot of those issues and where the state funding is, and so they really are keyed into getting more electric chargers around the county. Um, a lot of that is tapping into state monies, okay? And then with um, MTA, yeah, MCOG also deals overseas MTA's um, performance and everything. And so, so, you know, I guess that's not a board decision so much as MTA and MCOG decision. So I think that um, we're certainly pushing in that direction. So, and whether they have the money to make that conversion or can get grants to do that, we'd be very supportive of it. Is there a map 
of the county that shows charging stations, both private. I know like um, Greenwood Vineyards um, has uh, charging Tesla stations at their winery. Um, is there a map of shows where the charging stations are? I know there's charging stations downtown Ukiah, but other than that, it'd be great to see a map posted somewhere of that. That might actually be great for tourism, too, you know, just thinking about it. Yeah, if anyone's interested in that, they could contact MCOG, <clears throat> Mendocino Council of Governments, and Nafili Barrett or Janet Orth, you know, would have that kind of information. And they're in Ukiah. Yeah, that would be kind yeah. of, you know, just talking about visitor promotion, because there's a, I see a lot of electric cars going through the county now on 128. All right, John, we're going to get another caller on here. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I tuned in late, so I don't know if you covered this, but um, I, I wanted to ask uh, John about the issue of illegal cannabis grows um, in the Willits area. There are several near my house. I know they're not permitted, um, and I think they've been reported maybe even to him. So I'm wondering how, what's going on with that. All right. You take the answer on the air. Is that good? Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and another interesting thing is if you go to the supervisor's agenda from yesterday online at the county's website, one of the graphs that was put up was about cannabis enforcement. Now, I think it's on a monthly. Yeah, the board's going to be receiving um, an enforcement chart or a pie-shaped thing that shows the complaints and where they're at. Uh, it was a great, they showed um, these pie charts from 2017 to this year. Um, so it looks like there's going to be more reporting on that. So, and John, go, go with it. Money for enforcement. Well, one of the things we looked at, um, a couple meetings ago was this enhanced code enforcement. So going away from this model of complaint-driven enforcement, which it sounds like the caller, you know, has complained and, you know, maybe not much is done. What we're hoping to do is to, um, to be more proactive and have actually go out there and search for you know, these illegal grows and deal with them and fine them and do whatever is needed to do to to get them into compliance or to shut them down. And so that I think that we put in like a $1.5 million extra into code enforcement in this budget. And we're also looking at, you know, I'm in continual talks with the sheriff about what to do and how how can we um, deal with illegal grows because until we do that, it's hard to get a a legal system, you know, that's really operative and valid for people. I, I will say with the charts, I looked at them last night. It looks like the complaint driven the, the the complaints that are coming in are actually running around three hundred ish every year 2017 18 19 20 they're running a little bit higher since we're only in june for this year but the complaint the driven uh, the enforcement with the complaint seems to be running at around 300 complaints a year um yeah and i know that also there's been more transparency i've been seeing on facebook and other sites that i look at transparency of what places have been uh 
brought into the system have been caught and charged and how much money they're being charged and all that. So there's more transparency about who's in the system. Hey, so John, I got to get out of here, but I want to thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for all the good work you're doing. And when we get into the strategic planning, I hope to get you back on. Hey, that would be great. It's been really a real pleasure, Karen. All right. And listen, you have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. John Haschak, third district supervisor. There we go. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in. I'll be back with you next week. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do, but I'm sure it'll be fun and informative. So uh, please stay tuned. Upcoming next is going to be classical music. And you know, if you want to become a member, you can always do that by going to kzyx.org and pushing that donate button. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 